Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for joining us as we start another week. Lots to talk about. Weather, big, big story. As we watch crop conditions, John Baranek, DTM meteorologist, will join us to give us a look at the forecast for the week ahead. Uh, the United Soybean Board held their summer meeting last week, made some big decisions on funding of projects. We'll talk with a director with the USB, Tom Oswald, and take a look at that process that they go through and the decisions they made on uh, spending checkoff dollars. And we'll get a wrap on this year's Kansas Wheat Harvest with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. All that coming up here on today's program. But let's start it off with the news and joining us this week from agripulse is phil brasher phil good to talk with you again uh we're, we're finally here. getting getting closer to some deadlines on this infrastructure package that we've been talking about seemingly forever um what do we expect this week well good question uh the majority leader uh, chuck schumer has set a deadline of wednesday uh, you know, to have a, a first vote on this uh, bipartisan infrastructure package. But the Republicans are saying that's too soon. Uh, they don't have it worked out. Uh, so, I mean, it's a little bit of an artificial deadline. They don't have, they're not starting a recess. Uh, um, you know, there's not the end of a fiscal year, you know, some kind of cliff. So it's, it's a little bit artificial whether, you know, whether Schumer tries to enforce it and bring up a bill that can't pass seems a little iffy, but uh, yeah, that's that's where we are. We do have this deadline of Wednesday for a vote uh, that uh, Chuck Schumer has set. You know, it just uh, they're running the risk here of running out of time or or not really getting much done. And uh, kind of, we keep hearing this proposal, this legislation introduced, this idea, but we haven't really seen much follow through or action yet. Right. Well, as you know, the Democrats and, and uh, President Biden are, want two things. They want this infrastructure, this bipartisan infrastructure package of the roads and bridges and broadband, the hard infrastructure. And then they have all these other priorities, including uh, a lot of climate uh, measures, including uh, uh, potentially a lot of money for conservation programs, but also uh, child care, uh, a free community college, uh, expansion of Medicare, all of this stuff, $3.3 dollars. You know, they want to get this, the Democrats want to get both of these things moving. They want to get both of them done before August. So that is, that is what the Republicans, on the other hand, would rather not see that $3.5 trillion uh, ever go anywhere. They have less motivation uh to act quickly so that's uh that's where we're it's, it's the democrats who are really pushing this they they want to get both of these things moving uh and get some resolution on this uh by this infrastructure package so they can get their uh um their bigger 3.5 trillion dollar bill uh, you know, on the floor and moving you know i always 
I'm reminded when legislation is introduced, there's always a, a lot of fanfare around it, and it's obviously the key first step. You got to get it introduced. But I, right. I'm always reminded it's a long ways from, from being introduced to getting it passed. So, and in the meantime, you can almost forget about some of it that's been introduced. Uh, very important uh, legislation like the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Uh, that was a House passed bill some time ago. Where does that stand right now? Well, that's stalled. Uh, immigration is an issue that uh, there's a lot of different facets to immigration, and they typically have to, to to move together because if you if your if your priority is legalizing the dreamers, uh, that's what you want to pass. On the other hand, uh, for for the farm sector for Farm groups of farm uh, advocates for farm workers, they want to get those issues addressed. They want to get a legal path. They want to get legal status for farm workers plus expand H2A. Each side, and there are other issues as well, they all they all want to hitch, you know, they don't want one issue to move unless there's also moves. And so they get tied, they're very much tied together. Uh, and right now, the Republicans are, really resistant to moving uh, anything really on immigration reform. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's talk about among the Democrats about possibly attaching some immigration reform provisions, including some for farm workers, to this $3.5 trillion package that they're putting together. But it's a big question about whether the Senate parliamentarian would agree to do that through the budget reconciliation process, which is what the Democrats are going to have to use since it's a partisan bill. So there we are. Not really good prospects right now that anything is going to move on the uh, farm worker issue. Yeah, we've seen it so many times when it comes to immigration. If they can't do everything, it seems like they wind up doing nothing, I mean, even though there's some things exactly they could right. be doing. Yeah, they could do parts of it, but they, they refuse to. It gets caught up in the bigger uh, bigger debate. And I think the key point you hit on earlier, without a real deadline or a cliff, uh, you know, Congress just doesn't seem to act, right? And deadlines don't mean anything unless it's go home for the holidays or something like that. Uh, that's about the only uh, deadline that gets their attention and gets them to move. And these days, it's a government shutdown. This is not tied to a government shutdown. So uh, this is this is just primarily urgency on the part of the Democrats to get this infrastructure package going so they can get their other more partisan, much bigger bill uh, moving. So, you know, and if, if, if the bipartisan infrastructure package falls apart, presumably they will want to then just pull that into their uh, their bigger reconciliation bill so but they don't want to do that while there's still hope for the partisan process so yeah that's where we are trying to schubert's trying to uh, force uh you know a vote on wednesday whether you know whether he can do that you know don't know why he'd want to have a vote and have it fail but you know we'll see I hope I'm wrong, but this seems to be a precursor to the next farm bill. Writing it, I think, is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it could well be. It could be very interesting. I, I, I alluded to this uh, money that the Democrats want to put uh, into the uh, 
to this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. And Senator, Senator Ag Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow wants to get $50 billion. She's very optimistic about that, having that included. That would add a lot of money to the farm bill and actually you know, really sort of reshape the farm bill into much more of a conservation-heavy uh, versus commodity, uh, Title II versus Title I. And uh, it creates a lot of new issues. Uh, it could be a very interesting process. Obviously, you've got mm-hmm. highly partisan Congress, uh, and, and even the House Ag Committee in particular is becoming more and more partisan. That's a battle that's coming down the road, not too far down the road, yeah. but down the road yet. We'll yeah, be watching. Yeah. Phil? Yeah. We'll, have hearing, to, yeah, we'll have hearings start soon. Yep. Good to talk with you, Phil. Thank you. Okay. Good to be here. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we take a look at the weather. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, for the second month in a row, the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer declined, falling 21 points below a month earlier and the weakest sentiment reading since July of 2020. Here to talk about it is Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. Michael, what's your takeaway from this? The index of current conditions and the index of future expectations fell but the index of current conditions fell much more steeply. And we think one of the reasons why the index fell so hard is if, if you look at when we surveyed people in mid-May and then uh, the week of June 21st to 25th, both corn and soybean futures price fell dramatically. If you look at the, the soybean futures, we saw a drop of about $2.50, very large drop from mid-May to mid-June. There's the nearby corn futures dropped about $0.80. Cents. And so even though the prices are still relatively strong, certainly the those prices are weaker. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes 
just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's sort through the weather picture with John Baranek, DTM meteorologist. John, thank you for joining us. So we've got areas with too little rain, areas with too much rain. You've got some areas that are kind of in that sweet spot this year with just about right. Uh, Take us through this. uh, As you break it down and, and we look at this week ahead, do we see any improvement for those areas that need it? Oh, man, Mike, I'm going to sound like a broken record. The uh, the Western Corn Belt, especially across the Northwest and the Dakotas and Minnesota, have been the ones that have been desperately needing the rainfall all season long. Uh, and across the Eastern Corn Belt are the ones that have been seeing copious amounts of rain. So I know a lot of areas in Illinois and northern Missouri, uh, portions of Indiana, have also had, had uh, saturated ground for a good portion of the last month at least. Uh, and then areas kind of in between, so eastern and southern Iowa, sometimes some portions of, of northern Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, have all uh, kind of been in the in a better spot. We've seen crop conditions really increase uh, over the last uh, several weeks on the on the USDA crop reports, and so you know there's a kind of a dichotomy here between the the, the west and the east, and that just continues for this week. We're not going to see a whole lot of of, of precipitation. Uh, there will be some chances here across the northern portions of, of the region. Um, from eastern North Dakota to probably lower Michigan, we'll have some isolated showers throughout the week, but nothing that's really going to help out the, the, the folks out there in the west. And it'll actually be beneficial for those in the east that are trying to dry out. You know, it, it's these extremes. There's so much of the country in the west that's uh, record-setting heat as well as dry. I'm in an area in central Illinois where it, up till now it's been, a, other than a, a stretch here or there, a short stretch, it's been unseasonably mild. I mean, the, uh, forget triple digits. We've been some days hard to get into the 80s, and the night's cooling off. We haven't had those, haven't had many of those typical really hot summer nights. So we, we really have these extremes going on, don't we? We have, and it's because a, a ridge has just been a ridge of high pressure has just been really stuck out in the west uh, ever since the beginning of June. We saw a big heat wave to start June across the northern plains, and the ridge hasn't really left since then. So um, that's where the heat's been. That's where it's continued to be dry, and it's uh, allowed actually a couple of pieces of energy to finally move through it, move over the top of it, and into uh, the eastern Corn Belt, which is why we've seen all the rain. But uh, that's why also we haven't seen the heat. The, the ridge has just been stuck out in the west. It hasn't really advanced its way eastward uh, through the Corn Belt at all this, this summer yet. So does it, is it going to just turn hot all of a sudden, really hot, or are we going to see a gradual warm-up here through the end of July? Uh, I don't think we're going to see any, any big switch here anytime soon. 
Uh, that ridge still look, is still forecast by just about every single model to stay stuck out in the west and into the, into the northern plains and Canadian prairies uh, all the way into at least early August. Uh, some of the longer-range models continue it there all the way through the end of August as well. So we may not see the, the big high heat waves uh, that you know, we typically see uh, every single summer, across the eastern corn belt um, we're more likely to, we'll probably see some some days in the 90s and i'm not gonna throw those out the window at all but uh any of those big extreme 100 degree heats uh or long stretches of 90s just don't really look to be on tap uh, at this juncture at least we talk a lot about the west the western corn belt and then all the way out west uh that's a big big path of that that system, right? I mean, Canada's hard hit by this as well. Yeah, absolutely. The prairies are just as bad as the northern plains. So we've been talking about uh, the Dakotas, Montana, western Minnesota all season long, and that just extends its way northward across the border throughout the entire uh, Canadian prairies. Maybe northwestern Alberta um, has been on the cooler side and had some better rainfall, but for the most part, it's been hot and dry across the, the Canadian border as well, yep. I mean, if you look at the, the continental U.S., it seems like the majority of the country has some kind of weather issue, weather problem, right? I mean, we've seen the flooding and the storms in the southeast and up the eastern seaboard and the, what you just described in the west. I mean, so much of the country has really had a weather problem of some kind. Well, stagnant patterns will do that. If you if you can't get that ridge to move, then you can't get weather systems to move, um, take different paths. So, you know, the west has been continuing to stay dry. That path has been through the eastern half of the U.S. where they have continued to be wet. And there's a, just very small sweet spots kind of in between uh, that have enjoyed better conditions. Uh, I know winter wheat had better conditions here across the southern plains in the spring and early summer. Uh, we can kind of note that again for kind of Kansas up through Wisconsin area as having some better-ish conditions. Uh, but outside of that, it's, you know, you're getting one extreme or the other. Yeah, you never say never, but do you, you hardly ever break a drought in July or August, right? That Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> I won't ever say never, but... Uh, the weather will never, will always make you look like a fool if you say never. But yes, it's very, very hard to get any sort of of uh, break in a drought in July, August. You're gonna have to wait till the fall and usually late fall before that uh, before that turns itself around. But that Western Corn Belt that's hanging on, do they get enough? Does it look like a chance of some t- a little bit of rain, a timely enough rains to get them through, even with a reduced crop? Potentially, sure. I mean, there, we still have some some uh, isolated showers kind of hanging around. There's a, there's a frontal boundary right now, right near the Canadian border. It's got some uh, scattered showers right across right across the border into Canada. It'll be moving its way south here, just into North Dakota and northern Minnesota. That'll help some corn, uh, corn soybean growers out there. It's going to be tough to, to deal with, uh, with the wheat at this point in time, but uh, some corn soybean uh, growers will have some benefit out of that. We'll see some continued showers there across the northern crop areas uh, for, the mo- for the majority of the week. But the best chance of, of rain really comes 
uh, in the Dakotas on Friday, and then uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska probably on Saturday. I don't know if it'll be completely widespread as the area really needs it to be, uh, but at least it's got a good chance of being widespread. And unfortunately, like many weather systems, it's going to be moving rather quickly, so uh, rainfall amounts aren't going to be overly impressive, probably in a half-inch to one-inch range. But there's probably going to be a couple uh, of folks out of that that see uh, over an inch of rainfall, and that'll be definitely helpful. As we go into the, the last week of, of the month, uh, we still continue to see those chances. So the, the ridge will stay firm in the west, but it'll allow uh, a couple of systems to go over the top of it. And as they move through the western Corn Belt, they'll at least bring some periods of showers. It won't be like we've seen across the eastern Corn Belt where we're getting four-inch-plus rainfall, but at least they'll give them a chance to keep keep hanging on. You look at that drought monitor map, it really jumps out at you just how widespread the dryness uh, covers. Yeah, it has been, and it, um, you know, there, it's just really been due to that ridge. The ridge has just not been allowing uh, any significant moisture to come up uh, from the Gulf of Mexico up into the Dakotas. Um, it's been really keeping it down towards the south. And that's really where we've been seeing, where we see our heavy rainfall events in the summertime is we get good Gulf of Mexico moisture streaming up into a, into a front or something like that. And, and uh, the front stays slow and, and steady. We get some overnight thunderstorms and, and produces some good rainfall. But we just, with, the, with the ridge off in the west, it's really keeping the uh, Gulf of Mexico moisture down towards the south. Okay, I have to admit, you do sound like a stock record. Seems like we've been saying the same things for for weeks now. Yeah, unfortunately, that continues to be the case as we go into August as well. Yeah, of course, we've already dated ourselves just by saying record. A lot of a lot of people don't even know what those are anymore, right? We've uh, we've aged ourselves right there. But uh, John, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, John Baranek, DTN meteorologist. Yeah dated reference there although eh, vinyls are coming back somewhat all right up next we're going to take a look at last week's big usb united soybean board summer meeting that's uh that's an important meeting where they set uh, their priorities and uh, make decisions on what projects they're going to be funding for the coming year and it's quite a process that uh, they go through all the uh, proposals that are made and then how they look at those and determine how they're going to spend uh soybean growers checkoff dollars we're going to talk about that with tom oswald he is the supply action team chair for the united soybean board we'll talk about that next right here on aoa hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player for the Indianapolis Colts. Becoming a running back was no easy task for me. But it's nothing compared to what my amazing mom faces every day. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 years old. Yet she's always there for me, every step of the way, despite our own battles. And the Muscular Dystrophy Association is there for my mom. At their 150 care centers across the U.S., MDA is the leading organization in research and care for kids and adults with muscular dystrophy 
ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Their research is helping find cures and save lives. Watching my mom go through her daily struggles and the care she receives from MDA has made me determined to help find a cure for neuromuscular disease. That is why I support MDA, and that's why I'm so grateful to others who do too. Join me and learn more at helpmda.org today. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, overnight and here into the early rounds so far on Monday, we see grain markets trading higher amid a hot and dry weather forecast for the central and western Midwest, and especially the central and northern plains trending warmer and drier over the next two weeks, with the heat most concentrated in northern and western portions of the area. Today's crop ratings to be released by USDA at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central, are expected to show modest improvement for corn and modest deterioration for soybeans due to last week's rains. But next Monday's crop ratings will likely be more indicative of future trends. Now, this is not the type of weather pattern that would be expected to produce a 1988 or 2012 type of crop failure, but a failure of that magnitude is not needed to excite these markets in the current money-rich and inflation-hyped environment. Neither corn nor soybeans can afford to see yields drop much below USDA's current trend levels without necessitating more demand rationing with higher prices. The spring wheat crop will likely see widespread abandonment due to drought conditions in the northern U.S. with three-fourths of the Canadian prairies noting big losses as well. A short canola crop in the prairies is expected to increase demand for U.S. soy oil in the coming year, which accounted for some of last week's strength in the oilseed market as well. Now, we saw the ag markets overnight mostly higher. We're seeing that again here as we work through our morning trade. Right now, September corn, that is currently up 7.5, 5.63.5. Soybeans for August up a quarter penny, 14.55. September Chicago wheat, 8 higher, 7.5. September Kansas City wheat up 6 and 3 quarters, 6.58 and a quarter. September Minneapolis spring wheat, 14 higher at 9.31 and a quarter. Livestock are mixed. August live cattle down 52, 119.65. August feeder cattle down 80, 154.82. August hogs down 17, 105.47. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. When you are a member of a board that determines how 
farmers' checkoff dollars are spent. That is a huge responsibility. Last week, the United Soybean Board summer meeting was held, and that's where the USB directors make decisions on which projects are going to be funded. We're going to talk about that with Tom Oswald, USB Supply Action Team Chair. Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, it is a big responsibility, isn't it? How, and you get flooded with a lot of requests, a lot of different uh, proposals and ideas, and it's quite a process to sort through those because you're looking for that return on investment of those checkoff dollars. <laughs> you, could have said, you, you couldn't have said it better. Uh, really, the thing is, you know, we're farmers, and we're taking time out from the farm to choose these projects. So we were, I think the initial cut, uh, there was hundreds, and the initial cut got it down uh, three to 500, and we chose 181 projects for a total of $78 million of farmer money to be spent. And I emphasize farmer because we all talk that way in these meetings. We're spending our own money and the money of farmers like us and keep that front in mind. And before we get into some of the specific projects that you decided to fund, I want to talk more about this process. Um, because you know some of these, uh, you you understand going in, it's going to take longer to see the results, right? Some may be a little quicker, but some a little longer. So does that play into the decision process at all? You know, that's, that's a very good question. And the reason is... Um, everyone wants instant gratification but oftentimes in agriculture and in the sciences you know it takes a while you've got to build and build and build and i was thinking about this in regard to say some disease issues that used to be a big problem and 20 years ago they funded research figured something out and it's no longer as big a problem you know and so it starts to drift off your radar and so mm -hmm. the cycle of reinventing what is the issue of the day versus the issue of the future continues i don't think that'll ever disappear in this type of work. It's just a case of what have we done? How are we going to do it better? <clears throat> in fact, one of the projects that I really am excited about that we fund is the uh, Soybean Research Information Network, which that is a storehouse where farmers can go in, and, and it's a very intuitive place to pull out the data that's been done. And with that, we have a database that contains, oh, man, hundreds of formerly completed works such that as an issue pops up, it's fairly easy for our staff members or researchers to look at what we've done in the past and say, can we build on it or is the work sufficient that we don't need to revisit this area? Those things are, it's a continual improvement in our process that we strive for as well at these meetings. So you've got the projects we fund, but also how do we do it better? How are we more efficient at spending farmer monies to put more money in their back pocket? Because that's the attitude I have. It's all about putting money in the back pocket of the U.S. soybean farmer, and I emphasize U.S. as well. We're talking with Tom Oswald, United Soybean Board Director. And, Tom, you're right. Uh, I, I'm sure the the question you often hear is from farmers, uh, how are you spending my money? What are we getting from those investments? What have you done for us? And, and some of these successes, and there are many that you have now, uh, the funding, those decisions were started years ago. Well, the question what are you doing with my money? I hear that at various occasions. Sometimes it's in a positive way and sometimes less positive depending on the situation. But the reality is it's a, it's a line item on the check and we all notice it as farmers. And that puts a lot of responsibility. It goes back to it. It does. It makes us focus on, you know, we're, we're here for other farmers. Um, 
it, uh, it's, it's quite a responsibility in the sense, too, of, um, again, this efficiency of the system. What I found interesting in this last go-around, we started selecting these projects and sending them down. The, the project proposals came in, a lot of them say January. Staff started sending that down. Farmers started talking about priorities. What do we need to do? And then uh, last month, we had meetings, uh, hybrid meetings, actually, where the farmers scored, farmer directors, we scored the projects and then looked at them and then got to the cuts and then finally the approval of all those, you know, the portfolio, if you will, happened here last week. And along the way, you'd say, well, how do you decide something when a proposal is laying in front of you? Well, we consult with our staff members and say, you know, is this really kind of where we need to be or maybe we should make some adjustments? And I can think of two or three occasions where a proposal would come in for a certain figure and farmers would say, we just can't go that far, you know, and we're still farmers and we're going to look for trying to get a more efficient deal. All these are elements of the work that was done here in the last actually couple months. Well, let's take a look at some of those. Uh, won't have time to go into all of them, but some of the ones yeah. that uh, stand out to you that the decisions were made to, to, to fund. Well, uh, a good example is uh, a lot of things are going on in the area of oil. Now, historically, you know, the, 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 the crush margin, if you will, the crush of soy is, is, you know, the soybean meal, which, of course, goes to livestock, 97% of the soybean meal goes to livestock. Um, the meal has carried a lot of the value of the soybean. But what we're finding is the increased value in the oil, especially high Lake, which is an area that, again, started out kind of slow. It's getting its legs under it, and we see a tremendous demand starting to build in that high Lake area. And so um, that's just one example. That took, oh, man, I think probably four or five years I can think about discussions on the high Lake. And why is that? Because soybean oil was a great component, say, in a lot of your food oils, but with the issues of hydrogenation and some of those things, you know, kind of fell out of favor. Biodiesel helped pick up the load on that. Well, biodiesel's been going on for, what, 20, 25 years? you know, picked up that share that we lost there. Now how do we get back into that food market? That's the high oleic, low linen beans. And so this is, again, the continuous evolution of that. And as we're looking at that, uh, there's some new non-GMO stuff, or it's going to be called soil lake. Uh, looks to be very promising in that space. Food and industrial are really liking some of the elements that are coming off of the high oleic. Um, it's, it's looking very promising. It's kind of interesting, too, the added stability of that oil, you know, less oxidation, which, of course, was part of the reason for the you know, hydrogenation as it was used, which, again, fell out of favor. Um, there's just, it's just amazing. It, I, it never ceases to amaze me, really, how many things are going on that are really cool. We're not just a soybean that drops through the grade at an elevator or processor. It's a very big, big industry and very diverse and increasingly diverse. That soybean oil issue has been going on for some time, right? You've been working on this, addressing it for some time. Uh, and a lot of times you've, you've dealt with that issue of yield versus the quality of the beans and, and, and improving that oil content. Uh, that's That's been something you've been working on for some time. Well, you know, that's true. I remember early in my farming career, the discussion of northern soybean, you know, uh, quality components, protein, oil you know, versus, say, southern production, you know, one of the challenges, if you will, the board 
you know, we're covering essentially soybeans are grown in essentially every state west of the, or east of the Rockies, and between North Dakota, Texas, you know, Florida, Georgia, up the line of the East Coast, you know, it's a different growing environment, and we're learning more and more about how that is going on. But also, we're learning and have learned through various investments over time that the quality of our protein, even if our protein's slightly lower, I think our amino acids are are really quite good. So that's something not to forget. Um, but continuous improvement in in what we deliver to the market is is so important. Um, for example, a supply chair. I always look at it that it's about growing beans better how to help farmers grow beans that they want to sell, especially at these price levels, but also growing a bean that people want, better value, and that that is never leaving our mind. The farmer has to be able to grow beans. They have to be a competitive yielder, you know, disease problems in check, all those elements, but also that when that bean drops through the grate, people want it. They, they need it, and that's preference. It's very important we think about preference. And I encourage your farmer listeners to think about that, too. It's not just the soybean dropping through a grate. It is the multitude of potentials that have dropped through that grate. It goes into a very complex food chain or supply chain, actually, to many industries, more than just food. And if you're not part of that chain, you get exited. So that, again, we got to be something that people want in the United States and around the world the high focal point especially moving forward into the future and we're about out of time tom but the other part of this is while you have a, a, certainly a, a sizable amount of money that you're making decisions on how to use uh, that <laughs> when you look at the big picture of how much it takes to do some of these things you have to find ways to best leverage that money get the biggest return on investment don't you a huge number of the projects are leveraged they're not just a an a project here's where the money goes there's you know, uh, working with USDA or ARS. It's working with other states. You, know, you can't forget the fact the USB is only half the checkoff dollar. You know, the other half stays in the local state. And every folks that are looking over that are doing the same thing. They're really trying to figure out how to best deploy those dollars within their local areas. And so the checkoff business, if you will, is complex as it is. It's not just one thing or another thing, and we're working to make it even broader. Well, we'll look forward, Tom, to hearing uh, more success stories down the line from decisions that were made this last week at your summer meeting. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yep. Bye. Tom Oswald, USB, United Soybean Board Supply Action Team Chair. All right. We've been checking in with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat throughout the wheat harvest, uh, getting updates. Uh, let's kind of put a wrap on it today. We'll talk with Justin about uh, looking back on this year's wheat harvest. His thoughts. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. 
Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the CEO of RCAF USA, Bill Bullard. Bill, the other issue that this administration is taking on, and USDA is going to have this investigation and seeking information on what to do with meat labels. Are you encouraged by what you're hearing and seeing so far from USDA on this? Well, we're certainly pleased that USDA is now interested in doing this. But the problem is, is the problem that USDA is addressing, and that is that uh, currently the government allows imported beef products to be unpackaged and repackaged and then USDA label placed on it. The reason that problem exists is because when Congress repealed the mandatory country of origin labeling law, they also repealed the provision that said all foreign meat passing through U.S. Customs and Border Protection must retain its foreign label through retail sale. So the real solution here is, again, Congress. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. 
From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's look back at this year's Kansas Wheat Harvest with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Justin, chance to catch your breath a little bit. Uh, what uh, what are your takeaways from this year's harvest? Well, good to be with you, Mike, and uh, it has been a roller coaster ride. That's probably the best way to describe this year's Southern uh, Southern Plains hard red winter wheat harvest in general, not just Kansas. Just so much variability from when you look at everything this crop went through from planting with dry conditions in the fall, uh, challenges we had coming out of the winter and the growing conditions, and then just a, a cool, wet May that, that really helped this crop finish out, that put on a lot of good yield potential. And once harvest got going, uh, after going through that variability and those growing conditions, um, you know, it was really, really good to see. Uh, we had good yields once we got into the fields and uh, and now we're seeing a lot of variability maybe on the quality side, but all in all, uh, a lot of Kansas farmers had pretty good yields with pretty good prices right now. That I, I think they're, they're happy to get it. This, this harvest finally wrapped up, which kind of turned into a slugfest there at the end. Yeah. Remarkable, considering that roller coaster that you have been on here with us uh, throughout and kind of describing the ups and downs. This crop had a little bit of everything thrown at it, and many wheat crops do, but I think this one in particular was a challenge. Well, it's, it certainly was. You know, when you think about all the different things this crop had from uh, drought conditions, then we also had those uh, record low temperatures in February, which caused some concern for winter kill, and then a, a freeze event in April. But then uh, when crop expectations were you know, kind of getting concerning, we just had that cool, wet May that just, just what the doctor ordered to kind of help turn that yield potential around and then just as expectations of that crop from the May report to the June report to actually combines getting the fields, uh, seeing seeing yields really improve. improve. And you know, right now, uh, we're uh, state of Kansas, the largest uh, average yield per acre uh, was in 2016 at 57 bushels per acre. Uh, the July report had Kansas at 55. I don't know if we're going to quite reach that 2016 mark, Mike, at, at 57, but uh, we're, we're certainly going to be right up there. But, uh, you know, when you think about the, those challenges that we had right at harvest time, and why I mentioned it was a slugfest to finish up, but, you, know, you know, what the dryness that we've had in the PNW and the Northern Plains, 
uh, was about the opposite of what we were having kind of in the southern plains where we were getting rains and humidity and, and just uh, kind of had a real hard time getting the crop finished up, just fighting higher moisture and, and a lot of that wheat. And, and some of those, some of those uh, things did cause some quality issues right at the end and probably took some top-end yield off at what could have been with this crop. Uh, but all in all, uh, pretty good crop, but it's going to be uh, lower protein and will uh, create some challenges throughout the marketing year, uh, you know, as we go and start trying to find out uh, some, drum up some export demand for this year's crop. Mm-hmm. And now we kind of look at that spring wheat crop. How are things going? Well, that spring wheat crop's going to, uh, you know, it's, it's why uh, spring wheat futures were a dollar higher last week, uh, just making a, a remarkable move here with a lot of the dire situations that are going to be that have been reported you know just uh, uh, a lot a lot of wheat that maybe isn't going to get harvested and so that's what the market's really struggling with just trying to associate a yield what this crop might be with total production but then what will those harvested acres be because of uh, some of the wheat that maybe gets zeroed out or abandoned yeah, it's going to be real interesting. Next week is actually the Wheat Quality Council Spring Wheat Tour that takes trips through Minnesota North Dakota, South Dakota, and parts of Montana, uh, and I think it's going to, it could be pretty interesting, you know, Mike, it, it feels like the market's got a lot of, uh, a lot of the concern kind of factored in right now, uh, it's going to be a challenge for that, that spring wheat tour, because I think a lot of people aren't going to be looking at that tour as saying, hey, what is the story with the spring wheat tour, because that's already in the marketplace, Uh and instead of just trying to tell that story, they're going to look for that tour to be confirming that story. And that first day of that tour starts off in Fargo. And, and so I think some of those first fields that get reported aren't going to be necessarily reflective of uh, the western parts of the, the spring wheat plains. Uh, so it'll be, it, it could, it's going to be an interesting week when that tour starts up, uh, Mike, and an interesting, uh, see what the market, how the market uh, digests some of those reports. Yeah, it'll be real interesting. Uh, as you talk with producers there in Kansas, what what's the what's the mood that they have uh, coming off this harvest? I think they're kind of exhausted, Mike. I think it was uh, that just a slugfest to finally get this crop out, fighting it, uh, fighting some of the rain, humidity. It just really kind of drug out at the end. Uh, I think everybody was pretty uh, pretty excited about with the you know with the overall yields. You know we saw a lot of 70 and 80 bushel type yields out in western Kansas. Uh, so I think uh, everybody was excited with the yields. Uh, you know of course with uh, six dollar cash wheat prices, I think people are pretty excited about about that. But just uh, it was it was a little bit exhausting to get it to get it all done. And uh, it's it's always good to go ahead and get the combine back in the shed. And it's always interesting. Wheat acres, that, that's always kind of a, a question in flux. Interesting to see uh, which way those go. Well, it will, it will be. Uh, you know, it's, as we're talking about with the spring wheat prices doing what they're doing, wheat prices in general are staying pretty high. But you have a big spread between spring wheat and winter wheat, uh, you know, with almost a $2 spread in the, in those, in the, the Kansas City, Minneapolis futures market. Uh, you're seeing protein premiums being put in place uh, because the Southern Plains hard red winter wheat crop was a lower protein uh it's going to average around 11 to 11 4 percent protein uh so you're seeing pretty big premiums between the 11 protein wheat and the 13 protein wheat and so when you think about all of those factors what will the what will farmers be thinking about for this uh for this coming fall as we start our winter wheat process uh, winter wheat planting there was so much wheat because we'd had that moisture i was talking about 
that did get double cropped right back into soybeans. So I, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people are keeping an eye on what those acres will be and what a 2022 balance sheet might look like. But uh, we're probably going to look at lower winter wheat acres uh, this fall, Mike, because of that. Yep, always interesting. And Justin, thank you for keeping us up to date. Appreciate it. Good to talk you with bet, you. Mike. Yep, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for everything you do, Mike. Take care. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. We're off and running on another week. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.